Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one songs in Australia throughout the 90s, but not this week. Uh, if you've just joined us, we do, at uh, the end of every year that we talk about, we all choose our own favourite songs from that charted in Australia, and you've hit on the Choose Your Own Adventure 1996 episode. My name is Danny Yao, and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Zing Boom! Casey Atkins. <laughs> Hello everyone. And down the sofa from Tim Coyle <laughs> is Tim Byron. Uh, Welcome, Tim Byron. <laughs> <laughs> he got stage fright. He's in the room. He can't do a silly opening. Uh, so for, the, for regular listeners, Tim Byron is usually up in the Gold Coast and calling in from afar, but this week we actually have him in the 90% Hits studio. <laughs> uh, welcome to Sydney, Tim. Thank you. Uh, well... Uh, these Choose Your Own Adventure episodes are getting more and more complicated as as things go on. Yep. And <clears throat> what we normally do is we have a very special four-sided dice with... Uh, four-sided dice, sorry, with movies on each side, uh, which we've all chosen. So, Tim Byron, do you want to tell us what your movie is? The movie I've chosen is Beavis and Butthead Do America. Tim Coyle. Fargo. Yar. <laughs> Casey. That thing you do. And I've chosen Train Spotting. So, all let's right. roll the dice. Tim let's Byron. Do it. And it is that thing you do, which means... Uh, Casey Finally gets to go first. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right, guys. What did you think that I was going to choose from 1996? I thought you were going to pick the Rembrandts. I'll be there for you. Tim. Lump by the Presidents of the United States of America. Danny. And I also thought you would choose Lump by the Presidents of the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen, Lump by the Presidents of the United States of America. Lump sat alone. By the President of the United States of America, a terribly difficult name to Google in this day and age. But, uh, <laughs> Casey, you chose this song. Do you want to tell us why? Of course. Well, look, in 1996, I was re- like my music taste was really expanding. It was really growing. I was discovering some amazing stuff. I was listening to, um, you know, some great Australian bands. Uh, UMI had hit me. I was listening to things like Even. I was listening to things like Pollyanna. Um, I was listening to great guitar stuff, you know, I discovered Jimi Hendrix, I was listening to the Beatles, and there was just wonderful, wonderful music on the palette. But then, you just, you're 16, you still get hit by fads, don't you? And, and this one, it's just, a, it's just one of those fad songs that, that hit me, and one of those fad bands that hit me, and for all of my ranting against drop D tuning, here's me liking a band where the guitar's only got three fucking strings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know what it was. Like, there was just... It's just so incredibly catchy and poppy and and and, and nothing. There's very little nutritional value to it, but I just... I couldn't not like it. And I remember a lot of people really liking it. I think we had the single... Um, I remember liking the B-sides. I remember liking the other 48 singles from this record. Um, and, yeah, listening to it now, it just, you know, I just 
reminds me of it reminds me of those good times and why I liked it then, and the fact that as much as I was becoming. Um, you know, a bit of a knob with my music listening and a bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> um, that I still could could kind of fall for the fun stuff from time to time. And this was just kind of fun and I liked it and I sort of still do. Uh, Tim Byron. Well, yeah, for me, I bought the single to Lump, then I bought the single to Peaches, mm. and then I figured, may as well buy the album when I heard yeah. Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> So I bought the album and I, I bought it secondhand from... Uh, a place in Liverpool and I remember this because I remember when I got home like there were about 10 copies of the the front cover in inside the the CD case oh so there was a packing error yeah so there's some packing error so I had like 10 copies of the cover and so I like um my school folder was just covered in oh, copies nice. of that cover after that so I was a fan of the presidency of the United States in 1996 because I was 14 and they were funny and silly and were vaguely sort of rock and yeah, so for me, yeah, I was a fan. I enjoyed them. Um, 1996 was very much the year of the presidency of the United States of America because out of the songs that we could choose uh, from the top 100 of 1996, there were three presidents of the United yeah. States <coughs> songs that oh, we could really? choose. Yep. There was Lump, Peaches and Kitty in yeah, the top right. 100 of the year. So um, No June Buggy? That's no June Buggy. That's the next record, isn't no, it? No, no, that's, that's on that record. record. Oh, yes, of course. You're course. thinking of possibly like, Volcano or Mac 5. No, Mac 5. Mac yeah, 5, yeah. Which also came out in 96, because yeah. they, they yeah, yeah. knew they were a fad, they knew it wouldn't last very long, and they were going to go... <laughs> we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that. But Lump, as a song, uh, I thought it was great, and I still think it's great. It's just got such energy to it as, as a song. Like, it, it means nothing. I don't know what the hell he's really singing about. What's this Lump, and why is she in a swamp? What the hell is going on? Uh, but... You know, as a song with energy <laughs> and as, as a song with, like, catchy hooks, it doesn't need to be about anything, and it's just fun and great, and I loved it at the time. And listening to it now, like Casey, it just brought back lots of fun, good memories. Tim Coyle. Yeah, no real arguments from me. It's it's really catchy, and that's that's what I thought at the time. It just comes out of the blocks really hard and fast and kind of... Um, gets those hooks into you and so yeah I liked it at the time my sister beat me to buying the album oh so it was still so, in the house yeah it was, yeah, it, yeah it was in the house and listened to quite a lot um, one thing I did find at the time and also this week after a few listens that's kind of it for me yeah it's yeah there's not much to really sustain this beyond a couple of listens and I think, as the others have said, it's, it's silly and funny, and that's part of the catchiness at first, but that's kind of also what means um, means why it tapers off, uh, why your interest tapers off after a while. Um, the, the sense of humour with this and the other songs, it was that very silly, non-sequitur sense of humour, which I really like. Um, by this stage, obviously, The Simpsons was something I watched a lot, and... Monty Python was something mm, yeah, I watched right, a lot, yeah. and it's got that kind of thing about it, which I think is why I enjoyed the humour. Whereas, you know, I'm I don't always love humour in songs. It's very hit and miss for me, but this one here. So, yeah, really? yeah. the Jason Isbell record is. <laughs> you listen to it, right? <laughs> uh, okay. I disagree with all of you. I fucking love this song and it still stands up and the album's great. What, what fad are we talking about? <laughs> I still listen to this band. Those first two records are amazing. Did you go and see them last year when no. they toured? What? No. Or did no. you see them in 96? No. Because I've never I, seen the band. I remember no. that happening and it was like the night before one of my school exams so I didn't go uh. but I remember they were supported by Custard. Mm. Uh. 
Yeah, it was a big tour, and like I think, well, I was too young to really see them at that point. Um, like without, like unless someone took me, I wouldn't yeah. have been going to gigs for my own when I was fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just don't go to gigs, so I didn't don't, didn't see them last year. But I, God, I listen to this album every so often, and I'm listening to it again this week. It's such a great album, and this song is a massive highlight. Mm. Who cares what the song is about? What the hell is Bohemian Rhapsody about? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I could explain that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet you. And you probably, like, there's probably theories on what this song is about, but it is <sighs> so... There are theories, but they're bullshit. Oh, yeah, who cares, though? There's, a, there's also an outright explanation. He had fever dreams when he had a bad case of pneumonia. I mean, every case of pneumonia is bad. Most <laughs> <laughs> of those good cases of pneumonia. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it is it is a song I loved back in the day so much. I used to jump up and down to it. I learned all of it. I learned how to play on guitar shortly after. Well, <laughs> Not that, that, that took you but, all of the length of the song. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like too many other things on the radio. It, it sure doesn't. And it was fun. And the rest of it was fun. And I love the sense of humour in that music. I love what the band did. They probably could have shot for more, but they wanted to be a fun band. And they did it. And it was great. And it, it lasted two summers, I guess. Yeah. And then they mm. broke up. Um mm. Uh, and then they're back together, and I don't know why they're back together, but those records Ch- sold Ch- millions. Yeah. And, you know, and it's great. So, okay, so, and those other singles of this record, this is a huge... So did you, I, I wasn't sure, you didn't mention, did you have this album? Oh, uh, God, I just kind of, I don't think I had it. Maybe my brother had it. I had very easy access to it, whatever. Like, it was, there were a lot of copies going around. This is yeah. at the time as well when you were spending every Saturday afternoon at some mate's place. I remember, yeah. like... I have really clear memories of, of uh, playing Street Fighter on a Super Nintendo and listening <laughs> to this record at a friend's house. Like, if we want to time, like, yeah. date this period yeah. anymore, you know. It's kind um, of the most 1996 thing. Yeah, oh, yeah totally. <laughs> and me and my friends would have the CDs and we'd tape them for our friends and, like, well, make these sort of mix of right, things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's um, the thing. If you didn't own it on CD, you invariably had it. You had it somehow. Tape, yeah. 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 Um, from someone's collection but I was, I was playing in a in a band at the time as well and we played both i think we bet we didn't play this but we played kitty and peaches yeah, right. um you know so because they were just easy and fun and and, and yeah. everybody went off to them and if, i just said went off if there the, you go if the <laughs> charts had more songs uh, like they this. are need oh. <laughs> oh. no need, need to bring that up <laughs> um if, if the charts had more songs like this in it right now it would be a better the world would be a better place yeah. like i mean there's nothing wrong for, about this song for me. The arrangement is very clever. It is an interesting arrangement, and the sound of the guitars is yeah. a very sort of indie US kind of sound, like a super chunk almost, like mm. that kind of thing. It's very it's muddy. Yeah. Muddy, yeah. Early Weezer. Yeah, it's a yeah. bit of power pop to it. There was, I mean, for me, there was these. this band fit into the world of Offspring and Green Day and stuff as well. These sort of like, ooh, kind of smart-arsey, weird yeah. sort of yeah. punk things. But, but as the years go on, the difference and the... The greatness of this band overshadows the Green Days and the Offsprings and stuff of this. Of, for me, like they sent those bands yeah. end up being really sort of pompous punk bands. Mm. And these guys yeah. are just cool guys. These guys could be friends of ours. You know, they're just yeah, like, yeah. fun, running fun songs. Yeah. And I imagine that that's what they must have been. Like they just might have been like one of those bands in Seattle who just happened to be around at the right time and um, who had you know a few funny songs that radio could go. Oh yeah, that's fun. We'll put that on, and then yeah. they just exploded. Like, and no one really probably expected it. They oh. probably didn't expect it. Just, you get the impression they were one of those bands that were incredi- incredibly popular in their own town as yeah, playing live yeah. shows. Yeah. Because you, you can just see how these songs would totally yeah, kick it live. 
Um, but then, yeah, you make the charts, suddenly you're touring the world and you're having a lot more scrutiny placed on you. And, yeah, kind of 12 songs exactly like this, back-to-back. Uh, now it's a good song, but... I don't think, think this album is like 12 songs yeah. exactly like this back-to-back. I think there's quite a few different kinds about songs in there because, like, Peaches is a slower song that's kind of got more of, like, a... Um, I mean, in terms of songs, if you're oh, talking in terms of like sort of the lyrical style, come from a can yeah. that were put there by a man. <laughs> what a lyric! But it's like genius, genius in a way. Oh. It's <laughs> so. That's the thing. It's one of those stupid like scratch lyrics. You, they're picking a guitar, going, well, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. blurted out. They yeah. had the presence of mind just to go, yeah, we keep that. Yeah, <laughs> but you can imagine, like, you were talking about The Simpsons before, and you kind of imagine Homer Simpson like getting, you know, an episode of The Simpsons where. He he gets the idea that he's going to go to the country and, and he's going to have some peaches and, and then like he can't find any so he goes to a can like goes to a, a factory and watches some people making <laughs> cans. Yeah, you can imagine that as a Simpsons episode or like mm. a bit of that and look the, the, the arrangement on that song is phenomenal the fact yeah. that it is two songs really mm. you know it just stops yeah, it and do, it just goes does kind of millions of peaches <laughs> peaches for me <laughs> like who does that who does that for a song like, yeah, yeah. it's just so weird yeah. to do and Kitty is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, just a meow, meow, <laughs> meow. Like, genius, right? Yeah. Like, this is violent well, and, fans. Kitty is like, very violent fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a big influence. I mean, you know these guys. They probably know all the violent fans records. They know. Yeah. Like, they did so many covers in their career. They know Buggles. They know. Well, yeah, yeah. Their, their cover of Video Killed the Radio Star is pretty famous. It got used on a movie, yeah. I think. Was, oh, was that on Wedding Singer or something? Or? Yeah, it's something like that. And there was a yeah. cover of Kick Out the Jams by the MC5. Oh, on really? Album. No, yeah. you see, that's the weird thing. Oh, really? It's a fucking completely different song. Is it? Yeah. What? It's completely different lyrics, and then they just do, and then they just do that hook of Kick Out the Jams. Right. Like, the, you know, the the person in the United States version starts with like, I've been elected to rock, like to rock, yeah, to rock this planet, you know, rock or whatever. That, it's not a line in the MC5. See, I don't think I've hands. actually ever heard the MC5 version. I just assumed it was the first time I told you. So it's come up Fargo, which is Tim Coyle's choice. And let's, before we go and ask Tim what he chose, let's see what the rest of us thought Tim, well, we thought that Tim would choose. I thought Tim Coyle would choose Pepper by the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> Casey? I thought Tim might choose It's Oh So Quiet by Bjork. I thought Tim would choose Pepper by the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> <laughs> what did you choose? I chose It's Also oh Quiet by Björk.
<laughs> that was It's Oh So Quiet by uh, Bjork. Uh, Tim Bjork. Bjork. Bjork? Yeah, because it's got an umlaut. The, the O with the umlaut is uh. Oh, well, there's so a pronunciation Bjork. lesson for everyone. Did you Bjork? say pronunciation? You didn't, did you? <laughs> <laughs> English is a second language. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Bjork. Uh, <laughs> A song, uh, Tim Coyle's choice for 1996. <laughs> and uh, why did you choose Bjork? I chose this song because it was a Bjork song in the list of songs that we got to choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, primarily, it's it's definitely not my favourite Bjork song, but it is from my favourite Bjork album. And the story behind this is that the, the first single off post was Army of Me, mm. which is an incredible song and I fell in love with it as soon as I heard it. Uh, this was, I think, two singles later. Hyper Ballad was in between, and I like that. And this was, at the time, when I first heard it, it was a bit of a letdown, because, look, big band music is what your grandparents listen to. And that was probably the first thing that, um, that hit me about it. And then I'm like, why is she doing all the shrieky stuff? I don't get this. And I was disappointed because this was mm. something that Bjork was an artist I was starting to really enjoy up to this point. But I bought Post on the strength of Army of Me and listened to it pretty obsessively and this song started to make more and more sense. And um, now, it, it, it's a cover or it's... I, I, guess you'd say cover it's kind of a standard which is based on a um a german big band song uh und jest is es still <laughs> um which was translated in the 1950s in the u.s and performed by betty hutton so um th- there's that it's not actually a bjork song but mm. you know she makes it her own she totally owns this listening to it this week i, I really enjoyed it um it's the thing that I that I've always gotten from Björk is that look, it sounds like no one else, even mm. though she's using an old-fashioned style of music. Um, she completely modernizes it. Um, she brings all of her the force of her own personality on it. Uh, all the weird vocal ticks she uses throughout these days they strike me as incredibly smart and charming, as they did eventually uh, when I was listening to this song. And look, she just. By the end of this song, in the last chorus and verse, her vocals are amazing on it. And yeah, um, look, I'm a huge Björk fan, which is why we are talking about this song. <laughs> but, but this was her biggest hit in Australia, and I think it got to number it got to number six here. It got to number four in the UK. It was huge. Um, this brought her a whole new audience. Uh, I think at the time some of the response to it was, this is a novelty song. Mm. Um, but, I mean, look look at where we are now. She's um, just one of the premier artists of um, the last 20 years. We've talked about people who are geniuses. Björk is a genius. Um, and the only other thing I want to add to that is part of what won me around with the song, the Spike Jones film clip, yeah. Yeah. which is brilliant. We'll and definitely just, talk about that again. Uh, yeah, just uh, an amazing piece of work in and of itself. Uh, Casey Atkins. I've, I've got um, kind of mixed feelings about the song, and I've always had mixed feelings about Bjork as well. I, um, I think I actually really, really liked this, and 
Um, this was the first thing that I remember of Bjork. I don't remember Hyperbella before this. Hyperbella came out as a single afterwards, I believe. Oh, yes, did it? it, did. it was oh, okay. One. But it might have been on Triple J. <coughs> no, I remember. They were, play, they were playing a lot of posts. Isabella was before this, and Army of Me was the lead. So I don't, I don't remember those at all. This is, this is clearly in my mind the first Bjork that I heard, and I really liked it, and I thought it was great. And then when I heard Hyperballad. Um, I was like, oh, she's kind of an electronic artist, all right, I'm out. <laughs> you know, I was that guy yeah. at the point. Um, so I was really interested by this at the time. Um, and, and now, you know, she's one of those people that I have known a lot of people who are just huge, massive Bjork fans. But to be honest, she's just passed me by. She's not really for me for whatever reason. Um, I'll listen to this song fairly happily. Um... Although I do see a lot of, I don't know, I don't want to sort of any disrespect, but I just see a lot of yelping for the sake of it. <laughs> um, but you know what? It, it, look, it, it still sounds great. And um, I just, I have never really bought into the, the whole thing though, you know. Okay. Tim Byron. Well, yeah, for me, I remember um, my first exposure to this song was watching Rage in the morning and seeing this um, go up the charts as I watched week by week. And the video clip for this was the thing that I was paying attention to at the start, the video by Spike Jones, which is just incredible that um, Lars von Trier obviously totally ripped off from Dancing in the Dark once he saw that. Yeah, right. That um, went well for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and so I, I watched the video clip and was just... It's one of those songs, and there's something that happened in the 90s, you know, in a way that doesn't often happen now, where you would watch a song on Rage, and you would just watch for the video clip, and the song would get under your skin, and you'd start to, like, get it stuck in your head, even though you hadn't really paid attention to the song. And Daft Punk were another one who were really good at doing that, like, where they, the video was so entertaining that you forgot you'd have the song went until it was in your head later. And I think this was one of those for me, like, um, as a song... It's so, so quiet. Like, I don't think I really noticed it because I was so focused on the video clip, but it got into my head. And I, re I ended up buying Post on cassette uh, probably, you know, six months afterwards for about $5, I think, when once they started to get rid of the cassettes at the local CD store. Once it became a CD store and not a, a record yeah. store. Yeah. And, um, and so I got Post and listened to it, and I really enjoyed Army of Me, and I really enjoyed um, Hyper Ballad especially, and probably close to my favourite Björk song. And, yeah, for, for me, it's so, so quiet listening to it now. Um, it's just so good at, um, at having the two separate sides of the song. Like it's, it's a soft, loud song in, in that kind of Nirvana Pixies way, in a yes. funny kind of way, even though it's like this big band kind of sound. It's got, like, the, the very quiet verses where she's like, shh, and all that kind of stuff. And then, like, the choruses just explode into, like, sound and, like, big band you know, trumpets and saxophones and her just yelping and going nuts. And, like, it's it's such a great contrast. Um, I didn't know at the time that it was a cover. Um, it just feels so Bjork. I didn't like, know that until about five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> it just feels so Bjork in terms of, like, the, the kinds of things and the kinds of feelings that she goes for, that she can both do those very quiet kind of things, which Hyperballad is quite like, and then she can go quite yelpy and... Um, and big and, and brash, and it does both of those perfectly. It's, and so it was my introduction to Björk, and I think it's probably the best introduction to Björk that you could probably get, because it's um, it's accessible, It's um, it, it has everything that she does in the song, pretty much, to some extent. It's not particularly electronic, um, so, yeah, Casey was fooled into liking it for a little bit. <laughs> yep. uh, but, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, for me, I'm a Björk fan. I'm not a huge, huge Björk fan. I kind of dropped off after, um, you know, some, some way in the middle of the 2000s or so, I dropped off Björk and haven't really paid that much attention. But Björk's great. I like her. What do you think, Danny? Uh... I feel like I I knew a lot about Björk before this song came out. I remember Big Time Sensuality was quite a big song and Human Behaviour. Um, I think maybe, maybe like, I just heard it on Triple J or whatever by this time. Uh, so I bought Post pretty soon after it came out, loved Army of Me. And, yeah, didn't really like this song at the time. I mean, I liked Björk, Björk, Björk. <laughs> uh, but, and, you know, this song was kind of fine, but then it got overplayed and it wasn't what, I was interested in and it's always stuck out like those really beautiful fragile moments on post are great and then there's this song <laughs> it kind of it doesn't sound like anything else on that album either uh, and it wasn't as sweet and it's kind of crazy and whatever so I kind of never had a great soft spot for this song but listening to it this week out of context of the record God, it's just like the details in the production, the little flutes, her every single vocal tick, like Tim Coyle said, is so on and also so clear in my memory, having not really listened to the song in a long time. Um, it's a it's a fundament it's almost like it's a great pop record mm. in that sense from a from an artist who has never again made a pop record. Like it's really, really clever. I love the arrangements of it in an old school like Nelson Riddle sense arrangement, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's um, so it's great. Uh, it is a cover, I know. And yeah, whenever I hear the original being played in a small bar, I just go like, "Oh yeah," as if you knew the original. You fucking hipster cunt. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> just bash someone in the head. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's a lovely, lovely pop song. I don't think it's gonna. Um, like, I'm going to listen to other songs on this record before I listen to this one again mm-hmm. still, though. It's not um, it's not what I look for in Björk, I guess is the thing I say, but she is singing the fuck out of it. So, um, so yeah, I guess, you know, the conversation is about Björk. I mean, Tim Byron, you said you gave up on her around the mid-2000s. Tim Coyle, you're the, you're the fan here. Are you still a fan today? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I feel you definitely wasn't. The stronger, the strongest, um, strongest work. That's a from a couple of years ago. Mm. Last year, I think, or maybe even. Is that the iPad app one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I mean, <coughs> obviously, moving in the circles that she moves in, a lot of the, like, shall we say, synergy um, <laughs> is <laughs> yeah um, has become a big part of her of her act and and what she does. So yeah, I think hanging out with uh, Matthew Barney for so long is. Um, That's her husband. Uh, I don't think they're married. They they have children to, together. Um, but I think yeah, that big multimedia uh, installation style thing, which yeah. is something, which is what he does, yeah. has become incorporated into her work a lot more. But look, she, um, you know, she's perfectly within her rights to do that um, because yeah, uh, just her musicality is. Um, far beyond what most musicians we talk about in the charts is. Um, her, uh, for me, it's just always her willingness to experiment and just how much she puts herself into those songs. Um, Debut and Post are probably the two most accessible, but they're also the two, um, I, I guess, the two 
um, album she made when she was a lot younger and before the uh, the stalker incident occurred, which changed her quite markedly in what 1996. A stalker, a stalker sent a bomb in the post that would have released acid on whoever opened it, and it was addressed to Björk. Uh, the police intercepted it and defused it in London that wow. year. The guy who sent it killed himself and made a videotape of the whole thing. Oh, she hell. was understandably mm. very shaken by that. Yeah, and yeah. She... She also had all tabloid troubles around this time. Yeah, yeah she because there was that um, um, punched yeah. a photographer in Bangkok. Yeah, uh, who was trying to take a photo of her son. She's always been very protective of her kids. Um, Can I just say, for the record, that photographer deserves everything he got. Like, is he, <laughs> yeah, those guys are those guys are scum, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I've always sympathised with her over over that incident. I think most people just for most people it was oh, she's weird. You know, that's what weird people do. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, but look, I've followed her very closely. There's never been anything she's done that I've found um, in any way terrible. Can, can, uh, I, can, can I just I, throw two I words at you on, that, on, 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 the, on the terrible thing? I'm just, let me go first. Oh, go I, first. I, I, have a, I have a question that is two words. Uh, goose dress. <laughs> I don't even get that. that remember if we went to that? I don't know what award show she wore. Basically, was it I think a it was swan? Actually a swan. Yeah, a like swan. a swan as a oh, dress. Look, if someone's going to do that, <laughs> yeah, it's either Bjork or Gaga, right? I, I, yeah. I, look, Bjork for me. Bjork for me. There is an element of the Led Zeppelin thing of. Bjork has gone on to inspire such terrible artists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Like, you can really say that about any artist exactly. who, you like, no, I mean, we've covered that. that in this before. So yeah, it's not their fault. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, and my my question is: Have you heard the record she put out in 1977 when she was 11? 11. Glinglo, no, I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's called Bjork, as far as I can uh, see here. Yeah, I think I've heard one of the songs from it, but not all of it. Well, she was she, she was a child prodigy. She was in the yeah. sugar. Cubes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, she was a teenager when she was in Sugar Yes, yeah. but yeah, um, I gave up on beer after post. I have to say, like, I didn't. I mean, there was a long gap after that, and by the time, what, what was the song with where she was a robot being put together in the film? All is full of love. Okay, yeah, I remember that song. That was a really good song, but I just yeah. didn't, for whatever reason, buy the record then. And I think I'd moved on to different types of music, but um, yeah, I'd lost track of her. I know she was in that. Montreal film and around and um, and she's put out lots of albums since I yeah but I just yeah I've lost track of her as an artist for me um, it's funny that you lost track of her after post because that's kind of where I came in in a lot of ways like yeah, right. post and so the album after post which was called homogenic uh, homogenic uh, that was you know that's probably my favorite Bjork album oh really I, I was just amazed at um the the single yoga or Joker, or, um, which had it's that kind B-Urk. of... Which is the one with the video clip uh, with the, the Icelandic landscapes that sort of get, um, you know, messed up and kind of fractured when the music goes a bit like that. And it's such a beautiful song uh, with, like, beautiful strings and then, like, there's this sort of almost dubstep kind of thing going on yeah, in the middle right. of it. And, um, and, and I was just amazed by that and the musicality of it um, in a way that I liked... It's so, so quiet, but that stuff really got to me um, because, you know, by then I was a Radiohead fan and, and liking, you know, weird, wacky stuff, and that was certainly it. And so that, I thought the songs from um, the Lars von Trier film were great, mm. and um, the, the film itself is up and down, uh, but 
The songs from a great mostly down. <laughs> as far as, I mean, not the quality of the film. I quite like the film, but yeah, it's not a, it's not uplifting. Yeah. No, <laughs> she not. hated him by the end. Of oh the yeah, he, everyone hates Laos Montreux after they work yeah. with him, don't they? <laughs> Tim Byron is our guest. Do you want to roll the dice again? Uh, roll the dice. What do we got? Uh, what's come up is Beavers and Butthead do America, which is Tim Byron's choice. Uh, before we get into uh, what. Tim Byron chose what did we all choose uh, what do we all think that Tim Byron chose so Tim Coyle I thought about it so long and hard oh, yeah. and then realised I was stupid for thinking about it so long and hard because it could only be 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins I also thought it was 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins and Casey yeah I, th- I thought about it for negative six seconds <laughs> and uh, thought it was going to be 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins Tim Byron what did you choose? I chose California Love. No, <laughs> no, I chose 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins. For me, in late 95, early 96, I was getting up at 6am to watch Rage, and I would watch from like 50 down to 1, because that was my thing that I was doing at that point. And um, one of the songs I picked up on the time um, in late 95 or so was this song called Butterfly Wings, uh, which, and I remember watching it week by week and watching it was getting higher and higher up the charts, and and as I heard it a bit more, I started to enjoy it and started to realise this is a really well-made song, and... um, even though the lyrics are kind of silly, I realise now, but I was a teenager. The <laughs> angst made total sense to me. And, um, and, and well, so the world is a vampire sometimes. Yeah. And <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I do feel like a rat in a cage. Yeah, well, the sun does go around the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like, it, it rose up the charts, and then one week it went down. And I was like, aww. <laughs> I, I was really upset that like this song that I started to like you know it was like my song and I wanted to get higher and higher and so one week it went back down like by about 10-15 places and I was disappointed by this but like the reason that it went down by 15 places or so in the charts was because the Smashing Pumpkins had a new single out which was 1979 and that debuted in the charts at 30 something probably and, and I saw that and I was like this sounds nothing like that other song it's just the same band, but of course it was the same band because Billy Corgan has a very distinctive singing style and you're not going to confuse him with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, yeah, 1979, I was confused by it first, but as I um, 
watched it on Rage uh, week by week, uh, by which time I had bought the Blue Butterfly Wing single on cassette. Um, eventually I got to buying the, the single for 1979 because I re- really started to enjoy this song. And then I think I heard Tonight Tonight, their next single after that, and um, which also didn't sound anything like either of those two songs. And I decided, you know, this band is very interesting. I'm going to buy this double album that they put out. Uh, and so I bought the, the album. And I think the thing for me that I really liked about the Smashing Pumpkins was that kind of um, their ability to do lots of different styles and kinds of things. That was something that I really enjoyed in lots of the the bands and stuff that I'd liked up until this point. Like the Beatles always sounded different on you know their album to album. Queen always sounded you know, different song to song sometimes, even within the same song. I chose Bohemian Rhapsody before, so you know um, Prince is the same. He changes his sound. So I. I I was very impressed by artists that could change their sound, and this was a band that really, really did change their sound song to song, and I really enjoyed that. And um, the Smashing Pumpkins are responsible for me becoming a huge fan of music and becoming like a fan because I remember um, probably not probably a year after this or so, uh, we got the internet, and I discovered IRC and talking to people on the internet, mm. and I discovered IRC, oh IRC, yeah, yeah, and and I discovered that there was a Smashing Pumpkins IRC chat room thingy. Uh, I forget what they were called. Like channels, maybe channels. Yeah, that, that's what they were. Yeah, and uh, and so I went on t- and t- talked on there. And by that point, I had, um, by that point, I had a Siamese Dream and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And um, and I didn't have the the B sides compilation thing or the first album. And I remember like being embarrassed that I didn't have those. But I was talking on the Smashing Pumpkins. And it was that point that I realised that I could be an obsessive fan about music. Mm. which I don't think I had quite realised before. I liked music, but I hadn't realised that you could obsess over it. Like, I'd obsessed over other stuff before that, like Doctor Who novelizations and magic cards and things like that. And realising that I could obsess over music was, like, a new thing for me. And and so the Smashing Pumpkins were the band that I obsessed over. And, um, and, and, yeah, so that was it for me. As for the song 1979, listening back to it now... It's brilliant. I, I still love this song. I think there's a lot of like very pretty lyrics. I, the melody is very beautiful, and I listen to it, and you know I, I have all this history with it. But listening to it just kind of makes me takes me back to being 14, obsessed with this band, and it. I, I listen to it, and every note makes sense to me. Tim Kyle. Now I'm I'm not a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. Um, kind of, a lot of the stuff off Siamese Dream that I'd heard uh, a little bit previously to this. I really could mostly I couldn't stomach his voice um, more than anything else. The guitar sounds I could definitely stomach. But when I heard this, I loved it and I love it now. Um, mm. You know, it's the best new order song since 1985. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, it's, it's just, it's such a great sound. It's got that really strummy feel. Um, the, the vocals are kept under under reins for the most part, and it works really well that he shows that kind of restraint in it. And, yeah, there's just so much colour and um, there's something really uh, beguiling about this song. And, yeah, I, I agree with Tim Byron. Listening to this, yeah, takes you back. Um, this is a song about being a teenager and that's what he wrote it about and he nails it. Casey Atkins. So if you were to ask me what I was to think of what I think of the Smashing Pumpkins, I would say, I fucking hate that band. But I listen to this and like, there is nothing 
out of place at all with this song. There is like nothing. When I say, <laughs> I was just say there's nothing wrong with this song, but that doesn't that doesn't sound right. Like there is, like there is nothing wrong. With this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess what the best the better way to say it is everything is right with this yes. song. You know, um, it's it's actually quite incredible, and I don't think I've ever paid that much attention to it. I really liked Bullet with Butterfly Wings. I thought that was really great. I thought it rocked out really hard. This at the time, I, I didn't mind and I think it passed me by uh, a bit, um, but they lost me at Tonight Tonight because that his voice at that point was like, nah, I cannot stomach that. But listening back to this song now, like I, there is a, those guitar tones are incredible. And it's got that, like I had this funny moment just walking here in between the train station and, and, and this house where, do you got- A studio you mean? The studio. The, <laughs> the, yeah, sorry, yes, yes, of course. Do you guys ever do this? I'm just going to give away a little bit too much about myself at this point, but um, <laughs> this is a bit embarrassing. This is one of those, this is a perfect song for walking around with headphones in and pretending you're in the video clip. <laughs> did you get a, like a roll of toilet paper and throw it? <laughs> did, did, you, did you come here in a tire? But not specifically this video clip, but pretending you're in a video clip. Do you know what I mean? Do you guys ever do? Forget it. <laughs> We're back to that dancer in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, we're recording this shortly after uh, Lou Reed passed away, and I think a million people listened to Walk on the Wild Side on their iPod and found the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And there's just, just something about the pace of it, I guess, the pace and the tone of it. And when you walk around with it with headphones on and look at people and see cars going by, and, and so I don't know, there is just something about it that's, that's very haunting and striking. Um, I am in when he hits that in the chorus, I'm consistently reminded of how much I friggin' hate his voice. <laughs> but to what you said, Tim Coyle, before, like, there is a restraint in this that he can get away with it. Um, but this, this is about all, as far as Smashing Pumpkins are concerned, and me, this is about all I can get away with. Uh, well, coming to me, uh, Smashing Pumpkins... It's interesting because we are a couple of years older than Tim Byer and the rest of us, mm. and it's, it's interesting what difference those years make because we've talked about this when it comes to bands like Silverchair and stuff, and for me, Metallica, but this band was the enemy leading up until Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. Uh, I hated, I could not hate a band more than, than the <laughs> band who did Siamese Dream and to, like, this is just the worst enemy kids in the music room would be doing covers of Today and Chair of Rock, and I wanted to kill all of them. Like, that caused me more mental anguish and wanting to go listen to a sad record then they're actually sad lives um but uh and then bullet with butterfly wings came out and that is the ultimate enemy track for me because it just sounded like silver chair hmm. and i hated all what? that stuff like it was just like a dumb grunge rock song and i wasn't into that at the time i was listening to, i was still listening to mariah carey right you know like i mean you know this wasn't my bag um so this song kind of passed me by back in the day i remember it but by the time a couple of singles in, and actually my favourite, and actually the, the song that made me go, wow, this band is really different, and not so much 1979, but probably for you, like there's one song by this band that I just think is absolutely perfect, and everyone should know, and Frank Sinatra should cover, is Tonight Tonight. Like that, for me, is... And that's that's the song that I fucking Yeah, hate. but like it's just beautifully <laughs> arranged, yeah. super romantic and beautiful, and then because of that, 
The other two ballad singles of this record I really like as well. 33, which is yeah, 33, super yeah. nostalgic, and I'm 33. And um, hmm. I really love... Uh, and so 1979 is a really fine pop single. Like, if it was written by another band, I would probably like it more. But... Yeah. Um, but he does a really good job on it. And the fact that it was by this guy, and and, and in the parallel to Silverchair, when he started right when the guy from Silverchair started writing slightly better, more interesting songs and just drop D, three string songs. It's debatable it was, that ever really happened. Yeah, <laughs> there was a minor chord somewhere in Silverchair's career. And um but this song is really complex, really beautiful. That mm. guitar tone, that guitar well, is it guitar mini? Octave, uh, it's just an octave, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's just such a really, really cool trick. Mm. Uh, his little uh, what, what is it? Is it a do what no, that uh, 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 like his little vocal little things that he puts on it makes it sound like a Duran Duran record or something like that. There's real, yeah. like, sort of 80s gloss to it. It was probably the music of his teenager time, like, yeah, you know, things like New Order and The Cure, and it's a beautiful pastiche. What something that you just said when you just talked about minor chords and the, the actually that was ugh, that was the one thing that stuck with me the many times I listened to it this week is when in the second verse just before the chorus they go to the major chord where they went to the minor chord the verse before I think it's mm. yeah they extend or they extend the verse I, for a little that bit that was so beautiful like many things faster than we thought we could go oh uh, I forget the lyric that it's yeah. a it's just before like he extends that verse da, a little da, bit da, da, yeah. da. it's like almost da, da. the middle eight but not quite yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and they did it, but like the, the verse before it was a minor chord so that's what you're expecting but it goes to the parallel major and um also it's creating tension yeah. and it's just and it's just it's, it's just beautifully done it's release, very yeah. very beautifully put together and um and yeah like it's crafted within inch of its life to within it's inch great. of its life but it's great. but but in a good way, but that's, you know? that's also part of part of it for me. Is it has that very because it's um, because it's crafted and produced in that way. There's a real gauzy kind of, and, and that helps with the nostalgia of the song. It's mm. kind of you're seeing this thing through um, kind of many layers, many years of the interesting. The interesting thing with this song in terms of the nostalgia and, and stuff with it is I think it's pretty much the first Pro Tools song to have gotten into the charts. Is that really? Really? Yeah. Including all the dance stuff that we've listened to, like Here's Johnny? <laughs> yeah, because I think Pro Tools, um, there's the stories about Beck's Odelay, which is like the Pro Tools album, like of what Pro Tools sounded like when the people discovered all the tricks that they could have. But that only worked for about, like, you can only make songs that are about 90 seconds long. So if you listen to any of the songs on Beck's Odelay, um, there's like all these 90 minute sections, 90 second like, sections <laughs> in the song that um, are quite different to the rest of them because he had to yeah. like put it together and sort of pieces. Yeah, that's And so he wasn't quite, the like, Pro Tools wasn't quite up to like doing much, but basically as a song, it was the last one written for the album. And um, yeah, right. It almost didn't make. It. Yeah, or it, <laughs> once once they'd written it, it was certainly made. But it was it was recorded like you know two nights before they were finished. To, you know, it it finish. all it almost didn't make it. There are what no. forty seven songs on this album. One more. We just need one more, guys. No, I, I, I think Flood, when you heard the first version of it, said yeah. this isn't up to snuff. Oh, yeah. So Billy, Billy Corgan yeah. went away and rewrote it. 
and yeah. came back and then he said, okay, this is yeah. one of your singles. Yeah. And, and the thing, yeah, so it was one of the first Pro Tools uh, records. And so it's like, it's based on a loop, like a yeah, drum right. loop. Um, and so it's, it's built around that. I think the, there's the, that kind of thing at the start, but then there's a loop of Jimmy Chamberlain playing the drums, which is just repeated through the rest. And, um, it's built over that, that bed. So it's, it's a, for, for a weirdly sort of nostalgic song, it's actually probably state of the art in terms of 1995, um, and, and Pro Tools and stuff like that. So it's an interesting thing about the song. But Pro Tools is just a tool. It doesn't give you a sound. And like the but thing it is- does, because it's just a tool. But the thing with Pro Tools is that like, because you're using a, that particular tool, there's certain things that it's good at doing, that particular tool. Yeah, and sure. certain things that tool is bad at doing. And one of the things that Pro Tools is really good at doing is looping things. And one of the things it's really good at doing is sort of moving things around and being able mm. to like move this thing here and that thing there and like, you know, change things around and so there's certain things that using that tool will make it easier to do and certain sure. things that will make it harder to do um, and, and this is and I mean the, the sound of melancholy and the infinite sadness in general is really badly dated um, as in terms of some of the guitar sounds and things like that it's dated uh, the sound of it is dated much worse than Siamese Dream has which has these beautiful warm guitar tones um, whereas like there's something about the digital electronicness of mm. melancholy and its infinite sadness that makes me wince at times now. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, but um, but that thing totally works on 1979 in particular because the music of his childhood had that kind of feel and sound to it and, and you know, he, he was listening to New Order and Duran Duran and stuff like that at the time. The thing I feel about Billy Corgan is that I wish someone... Maybe I wish this maybe, like, in 2000, but I wish someone would lock him in a room with just an acoustic guitar and fuck off with the stupid big dumb riffs and the angst and write 12 beautiful songs. Because he kind of had that... I thought after these hearing a couple of these songs that, okay, do it again. Do, and do you he, want me to send you the demos? Mm-hmm. But like, because he, I've got those demos where he's solo doing like songs yeah. that were on Machina that, and, and it's much better when he's just him and a guitar. Yeah, and there's sweetness in like the Zwan record or like in whatever, yeah. when he was just not trying to be... Angry man. I think, I think that's one of the things that look. I, I don't mind melancholy and the infinite sadness as an album. I think this song and tonight tonight are great, um, and there's quite a few other songs on it. it. It is overblown and too long, but I think also that he approached this as a concept meant mm. that he just got out of that headspace of being Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Um, as yet yeah, some angst fueled spokesman for a generation thing. And as a concept, it was a concept album about the teenage experience in general. And, and so like the different songs in the album meant to sort of represent different things of what it is to be teenage. And so Bullet With Butterfly Wings is meant to be that kind of stupid teenage angst of like, you know, I feel like a rat in a cage kind of stuff. Whereas this was meant and, to be the kind of fun teenage and, stuff. And all and all of this, the, all of this conversation that, that, that we're having just kind of... Oh, just uh, re- yeah. Well, it just kind of reinforces my theory my theory of he's just a fucking wanker yeah and, and that's why I don't really like them. that's the thing yeah. like, people's songs don't give me a concept album about the teenage experience uh, just, just, just write some songs that I like and you know he, what's wrong with the concept album uh, a few things there Such are as? a few things wrong with the concept album what, like Sergeant Pepper that's not a concept album. Which is not a concept album. It started a concept album, and then I went, fuck it, let's just write some songs. <laughs> you know? Because the concept album's a fucking stupid idea. That's what the Beatles thought. Well, let, let's touch on this quickly. No, this is because they didn't have the um, ability to go through with it, because like, only McCartney wanted to do it. Let's touch on this quickly, which is, 
Uh, let's talk about Billy Corgan, the douche. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah. Like, he... Um, That's the thing. That is the problem. I just find him... I can't get past the douchiness. Look, mm-hmm. I mean, there are things where he says... There's something that stuck with me from Billy Corgan has said, which I find really interesting, which is he reformed the Smashing Pumpkins after they broke up. And he, and he made this statement in the press saying, I want to be a big band again. I want to be fighting in the charts with Britney Spears. And that is... In one hand, I understand you're trying to do something really important. You want to be like The Clash. You want people to buy your singles at Big W. I respect that. But you sound like a dickhead saying it. <laughs> and it's just like, why? And it's my whole thing of Billy Corgan, which is like, you sometimes feel like you are a huge music fan. Like, anytime he sort of talks about his heroes, it's really, really passionate. You know he loves those records. He's got the Eddie Vedder thing where you know that music was very important to him and I really relate to him on that. Mm. Why do you keep coming across like a dickhead sometimes? <laughs> it's just like, ah! The thing with Billy Corgan is, like, I feel like sort of circa 99, 2000, like the douchebagginess really, really like increased. And like, you know, he, he's, he's done stuff recently, like saying, you know, I would never put any of my songs into a commercial, like, you know, and, and um, you know, like I would never do this kind of thing where I put my song into a commercial and, you know, and rape the... Um, you know, the memories of my fans who had this song as part of their childhood and that kind of stuff. And then, like, a year later, he put Today in a commercial for MasterCard. Yeah, and he also put his one of his songs in the worst Batman films ever. Um, yeah, yeah he, so. that, I think it's hard for me to come down from that. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I just remember the, the journalist who... Uh, around this time asked, got up and asked him at a press conference after he shaved his head because how's the chemo going and he got thrown out of the room <laughs> that's pretty not cool but I think, it, I think it was a pretty brave thing of him to actually shave his head because he was going bald and like was trying to hide it with these like kind of hair like Casey's I guess <laughs> I'm just gonna go bald you. <laughs> you know what? That did not make him look good either. Like he no, looked like he looked like he looked like Uncle Festa. Let's face it. <laughs> okay, well, on to our last song tonight, and I've drawn the short straw this week, so I'm last. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dice would have shown up train spotting if uh, I came up with it. But before if I we'd roll it about six times because it would have kept coming up with ones that <laughs> yeah, we were already yeah. saying. Yeah. But before I tell you what I've chosen, what do you all think that I chose? Casey Atkins. I want to start with you because this would be the most interesting. Yeah, you were really tough this week or this year. Um, I thought that you were going to choose um, Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. Kim <laughs> <laughs> Byron. I thought you were going to choose Who You Are by Pearl Jam. Okay. They keep giving you Pearl Jam songs. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Waterfalls by TLC. Oh, all great songs, but I chose Santa Monica by Everclear. I am still living with your ghost. Lonely and dreaming of the West Coast. I don't want to be your downtime I don't want to be your stupid game With my big black boots and an old suitcase I do believe I'll find myself a new place I don't want to be the bad guy I don't want to do your sleepwalk Shake 
that was Santa Monica by Everclear. My choice uh, from 1996. I, okay, so why I love this song. This is one of the greatest pop songs of the 90s for me. I love this song so much. I, and I said I'd listen to the President, Presidents of the United States album this week. I went back and listened to Sparkle and Fade, which was one of my favourite albums of 1996. And enjoyed it so much. This record was so big for me and this song was really, really big for me. I just I have a really embarrassing story of how I discovered this band. Please. Uh, a TV ad. There was a TV ad for this album, and they played some songs from it. Oh, it was a like, TV ad for the album. Yeah. Not, not like a Remember? jeans commercial or... Yeah. No. Remember when that happened? Yeah. Oh. TV advertising for an album, and they were just like saying... You know, they were just saying how good this record was, and it's great lyrics, and like fun American rock album. And I went, oh, interesting. So I went and... Found it and um, fun. That's, and that's exactly what that yes. album was. <laughs> Heroin Girl, so much fun. Heroin Girl, it was on the back of Heroin Girl. That was the only song that was out by then. And Santa Monica then came out and propelled them out of the Triple J world into mainstream. Uh, I love this song then. I love this song now. And it has this thing that more so than any of the songs that we've talked about, 90% hits, is God, I almost feel like listening to it this week. That almost every single song in the world that I actually love says the same thing, and it's this thing that's in this song, which is, let's get out of here because things can be better. Mm. You know, every great Nada Surf song, every great UMI song, every great Springsteen song, that let's get the fuck out of here because things got to be better than this. It is the one thing I'm looking for anyone to say in a song, and this is one of the best examples of it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's get a, like it doesn't. I've never been to Santa Monica. I've never really experienced it, but that rock and roll escapism that I've just fallen in love with ever since is in spades in this song. So it's like, I mean, the, the simple guitar riff, the billion chorus, Everclear is a band. I mean, I tried to listen to their greatest hits this, this week as well. Um, maybe we'll talk about that in a second, but it's, it's really this song, a couple of songs in this album, and but I, it still stands up for me. Casey, what about you? Yeah, I went to Santa Monica last year. <laughs> and, um, Did you go to the pier? Yeah. With your big black boots and your old suit. <laughs> Indeed. And in my head, I could not hear anything else <laughs> <laughs> for like three days. Um, <clears throat> I love this song. I just, I, I, I really do genuinely love this song and I did at the time so much. Look, so much had to do with the guitar, pl- the guitar part because, yeah. you know, you're a young guitarist, you hear a... Um, uh, a song on Triple J and you just go and you see the clip and you go that's pretty cool and you pick up a guitar and you go I reckon I can figure that out and it takes you about like four seconds to figure out what's going on and you go oh cool awesome I can play that and the um, the way it builds is so amazing like I also remember setting my pedals my my effects pedals to like different <laughs> levels of distortion <laughs> to like go up between like you know the verse because you know how it just starts yeah, yeah. clean and then it lifts and it lifts again and then it lifts again by like the second verse uh, and yeah I just I, I think it's awesome um I a funny thing this week when listening to it I um I liked listening to it so much more than I liked watching the video. <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and like, because he, he's got a particularly slappable face. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a bit kind of 
like I want to listen to that song and I just want to get into it on the level I want to get into it but for some reason I don't want to see him singing it I pulled up some like live clips and uh, from then and from more recently because they're doing the whole like you know back together and all that as well and I just think I think you're a bit of a douche but god damn it that was a good song and and I and I I still love it I think it's absolutely great Tim Byron so this uh sorry so the things that we've talked about this week on the Choose Your Own Adventure, um, I've either bought the album or the single within a year of all of them, including this one. So I, right. bought, I bought the single for uh, for this, uh, which had B-sides of um, of live covers of In Excess and ACDC songs. Oh, wow. Really? Which okay. In Excess? Uh, uh, don't Change. Okay. Yeah. Which and they did, is, yeah, and they did right. Sin City My by... My favourite In Excess song. Yeah. And they did uh, Sin City by ACDC, which I think was in like a... Yeah, they right. knew though, like it was for an Australian single and they're like, we know two Australian songs. Let's do them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. They and, didn't do Hopelessly Devoted to You. No. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So, at the time, I thought this was great. I bought the single. Um, I don't think I ever bought any other Everclear single, but this, this was just a great pop song. Um... By 1996, I think I'd, I'd inherited like a second-hand acoustic guitar from someone, and um, and the first thing I remember trying to play was like the, the basically the bass riff from "Come as You Are" by Nirvana because that's pretty easy to play. Mm. Yeah. And the second thing was this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's pretty easy because you just have to move your finger up and down and you can play the song pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, doing the the, the, the power chords and the bar yeah, chords. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so this was one of the first songs I played on guitar, and yeah, as a song. I listen to it now, and the thing I think about this song was this must have been one of the very first songs that had that kind of late 90s commercial alt-rock kind of thing. Like, it's like the first song in that vein of, like, fastball and semi-sonic and, like... Yeah, okay. Really? really? Yeah. Harvey Danger. Um, but Jim Blossom's already there, weren't they? That had more of, a, like, a college rock kind of thing. This is pretty college rock, though, don't you reckon? No, I feel like this live is would already bigger. been a big thing. Yeah, this had, like, a less jangle, I think. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, so like, I, I feel that this probably was a pretty influential kind of song. Um, the, the thing that I've I've found out researching this song uh, this week was that Art Alexakis had this incredibly shit childhood. Yes. It comes across the And, yeah, and the songs, like... He, and apparently, like, he, he was talking about he tried to commit suicide by jumping off the Santa Monica Pier with, like, weights tied to his arms and legs. Jesus. So, this is a pretty heavy song underneath all the pop hooks and great riffs and, you know, catchy melodies. And, and that was the thing I don't think I realised at the time, but, like, reading up about it was like, ah, this is much creepier and <laughs> is that the specific incident he's talking about in the song though no he's not no but like he's got certainly got that history yeah. with this particular place and stuff and so i'm sure that would have been in his head um but like you know heroin girl was about like you know his girlfriend when he was like 15 or something who died of a heroin overdose because he was dealing heroin at the age of 15 like he yeah. had, he so he he was obviously like in a really really bad place and this was all like probably 10 years before everclear when he was young and um, then he sobered up and became mm. the guy who he is. And, um, but yeah, as a song, it's, it's just the catchy pop song that, you know, really changed music, I think. Tim Coyle. Oh, that riff. <laughs> <laughs> and that little scratchy bit. Yeah. It's all about the scratchy bit. It's, it's, such a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a good single. Just such a good pop song. Um, and look further to what Tim Byron was saying about um, Art Alexiakis's horrible childhood, which 
comes through on that album a lot more on the other songs mm. um, about kind of being passed around from family member to did, family member. Did you have Yeah, I remember you having Spark and Play. And yeah, I think there's one song in it that there's kind of a veteresque revelation of the person he thought was his mother was not his mother and um, crazy stuff like that. Yeah. That, yeah, would be a, an awful thing for anyone to endure. But um, part of what I like about this song is that, look, we've made the joke out of the, oh, it's about heroin, right? Well, this song is kind of about that, but it's this is a recovery song. Yeah. And that's something I really like about it, that it's just kind of shedding his skin. I'm going to California to do what people have always gone to California for and just be reborn and yeah. go out to the, to the ocean and just be born anew. And I really like that he captures that really well. Um, and... Yeah, I hear it. I just want to go down to the surf and do the exact same thing. Uh, I love the, the there's there's a joy to this song, right? That escapism, mm. but then there's also that great cynicism of watch the world watch die. the world die. You yeah. know, it's just it's, a lovely lyric. Isn't it's it? kind of it's kind of strangely prophetic, isn't it? Like I couldn't stop thinking when I was listening to that idea of watch the world die. Is that it's it's very kind of current thinking isn't it like i i, I like no I, I was thinking you know uh climate change bushfires right yeah, um, yeah. or that, just you like, know um ice caps melting that kind of thing like yeah. I, yeah. I hear watch the world die and i was thinking of that yeah. even like the government shut down you know like you yeah know, this song, sure. be like well let's just go and have fun yeah. at the beach and let everyone let all That's, the idiots be yeah. idiots. Let, let it all burn down yeah. around us kind of yeah thing, yeah. You know? I, yeah i kind of that was kind of my take on it that it's just kind of you know the world can just go away it's mm. it's there there's mm. nothing but me in these waves and there's that hugely romantic idea isn't it like with mm. that idea of let's escape i mean it's thunder road in that sense yeah. it's not as good yeah. as thunder road no. but it's yeah. like hey honey, let's <laughs> get in this up. car <laughs> and run away like let's um it's really really seductive rock and roll trope and it's just uh i loved it so yeah and so everclear <laughs> Fuck, like, so I love this song. I love this song so much. There's three or four other songs this album I really, really love. The album as a whole I kind of have good memories of. But how I do feel about it is, yeah, art is a douche. On the level of Billy Corgan almost. <laughs> I know he had a hard life, but um, this, for me, this song is a song that is well above their station. Right? This is, is you know, and a lot of bands have it. You know, uh, before we started recording, me and Tim Byron were talking a little bit about the Nuggets box set yeah. and how all these sort of average bands had one great song. This is an average band who had one truly, truly, truly great song for me. Um, but, hey, look, I don't know how you guys feel about Everclear. There's there's a couple of other songs that I like by them, but I gave up on them shortly after this. Yeah, I like um, Volvo driving soccer mom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, this 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 and heroin girl is kind of be all and end all yeah. for me, really. The song, the song, the other song I really like. My second favorite Everglades song though is "Local God" from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Oh no, You're I didn't just like, like that. Like a local god when I'm with the boys. No, yeah. I didn't like that at all. For me, uh, I quite liked some of the stuff on the album after. Um, I, I liked Heroin Girl a lot, but I liked stuff um, so on much. so much for the Afterglow. Yeah. The, the the title track oh, had yeah. that Beach Boys thing at the start, which was nice, and then yes, they went into right. the. Uh, but the great song from that album is uh, Father of Mine, which is like about, a pretty yeah. intense thing about his like father, I guess, and the, the re weird relationship they had. And um, 
And I think that's a great song, and I quite like that and a couple of other ones. Yeah, I bought um, that album. Yeah, and, and I think, um, yeah, for for them, I, I don't feel like the Santa Monica is, like, so much better than, like, say, Heroin Girl or that song or um, or so much for the Afterglow. What was the follow-up single to Santa Monica? The... Hotspot Dollar Sign, I think, might have been oh, it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And there was the one about which having a black girlfriend. That. Yeah, that was yeah. Hotspot Dollar Sign. Yeah. Which is, which is a really good song as well. Yeah. I really like that one. So I don't feel that Santa Monica is that much better. It, it is their best song. But it, it's like, you know, it, it's a, a 9 out of 10 whether, whether they have quite a few sort of 8 and 7s to me. Yeah, right. I feel like Santa Monica is 11 out of 10. Everything else did was 5. <laughs> uh, yeah, Heart Spark, Dollar Sign. And quite, quite a few of the, the album tracks on Spark One Fade. Um, so Queen of the Air. Yeah, Queen which, of the Air is great. Yeah, is mm. kind of jaw-dropping in just the awfulness it describes, but it's an incredible song. Um, yeah, Spark One Fade was really it for me. I, I think kind of um, when the next album came out, I was like, yeah, I won't be going to, to that well again. Yeah. Um, and look, the thing is, is that they just had this career that kicked on and on and doing the research for it this week, you know, Everclear and Art Alexiakis are kind of hated in the same degree that Counting Crows are by guys oh, yeah. on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those douchebags. Um, yeah, douchebags hating douchebags. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I just find it odd that this band can inspire so much... Hatred. Um, hatred and contempt in just kind of the intensity of it that a lot of people show that, you know, you've been waiting out 20 years to stick the knife into these guys. Yeah. <laughs> him? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, one of the things about uh, this band was that, uh, that I was reading about this week was that they were based in Portland. He was from, like, California and moved to Portland, yeah, right. like, to start Everclear. And, like, I think, like, the feeling at the time was that he moved up because he knew that, like, people were looking in that direction. Like, record companies were looking in the northwest of the US and, like, he wanted oh, to be God. based there. And, um... And, and, like, there was apparently, like, one of the main guys on the Portland scene who, like, a guy who played with Elliot Smith, I think, at, at one stage, um, like, really, really had it in for Art Alexakis and, like, and made that point very clear at um, at several, like, whenever he could, basically. Yeah. Um, because his ex um, became Alexakis's wife, I think, and Alexakis, um, you know, was done for domestic violence. Uh Right. slightly before these songs um, right. and they got back together and he learned the error of his ways apparently but um but yeah like i think for that guy like this was an unforgivable thing as it probably would be for all of us and so um and so he was just like hammering them and hammering them and i think that kind of but there's an indie dickery that i but like, there was a bit of that as well yeah like and it happened to jack white and stuff you know and it happens to wes anderson like you know mm. everyone in dallas hates wes anderson right because They'd been because there's because he made it out and they didn't. No, well, not even that. But suddenly, like these guys out of nowhere that no one's ever heard about in the film scene of Dallas, suddenly mm. got funding for their film and then got it released internationally for Bottle Rocket, and they jumped the line. Mm. Yeah, you know, and everyone wants to hate them, and anyone who thinks that there's a line is a dickhead. You yeah. know, and it's the same with uh, Detroit and Jack White, where suddenly it was like, why does this guy? We've been putting the hard yards in. We've been mm. fucking blowing the hope to every fucking six months. Of this like you're a dickhead. Like that's all you're ever going to be. Yeah, it's kind of that system of just paying that people set yeah. up to rationalise why they have not gotten yeah. their opportunity. Yet. Yeah, and the thing is, it's like you know why 
Jack White jumped the queue in Detroit it's because he was better than you why Wes Anderson and, jumped the queue in Texas yeah. he was better than you and if this guy moved to Portland and wrote a song like freaking Santa Monica Heroin Girl yeah. and jumped the line of you yeah. well they'd just bloody go and write a bit of song because you didn't have it yeah. Yeah. but yeah. I suspect some of the anger towards them is partly the stuff I was talking about before mm. that he kind of brought in that fastball semi-sonic kind of world of stuff that was sort of indie for everyone but like in ways that made indie people annoyed uh, I have no idea why anyone would be annoyed with any of the bands that you just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that brings us to the close of another 90% Hits episode, our Choose Your Own Adventure 1996. Before uh, we move on from these episodes, we just quickly like to mention some honourable mentions and... Oh, that was just an awkward sentence. And, uh, <laughs> and also choose our favourite song from the ones that... Uh, the others have picked so uh, let's start with Tim Byron do you have any honourable mentions from this week uh, I said California Love is a joke but that is a great song uh, that I really love that riff is just great um, so yeah California Love is one of my honourable mentions another is Pepper by the Butthole Surfers which is yeah. just, you know the best cover of Bex Loser ever yeah and um, and yeah I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts is great power pop yeah Casey Atkins uh, definitely I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts which somebody picked for me was yeah. that you yeah um, Closer to Free by the Bodine yeah I had on, on single was that uh, that was one I almost picked for you as well I, I yeah. have that single I bought that I had on, on single as well um, <clears throat> a couple of things that I really like that song Mother Mother by Tracy Bonham that was on the oh, list yeah. you guys remember yeah. that yeah. that was great and um, at the time although I don't like it so much now but at the time I really did like Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's fine what were the ones that you chose for me? Uh, I chose um, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, like, you're right. That is another great pop song that I still love and, and play. Yeah. Although, a ridiculously stupid song. Who Pearl Jam. Yeah. Who You Are, again, another great song. It is actually my favourite Pearl Jam song, but we'll have another chance to talk about Pearl Jam later oh, on. Oh, that's why you didn't choose so it. That you is can. the only reason I didn't choose it. <laughs> Although I do like Santa Monica more. Uh, Tim Coyle, what about you? Well, Pepper, obviously, which a couple of people had me down for. Mm. It came very close. Um, Slim Pickings this year again, um, just going over it. Um, some of the ones that were picked here tonight, like Santa Monica, um, were things I would, I myself would have would have gone for. Um, I like the Bodine song. I didn't like the Rembrandt song. I hated Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> um, yeah, so there wasn't a lot to, to go off here, but I think we did pretty well. And um, the one thing I just remembered that I could have chosen was Peaches at Old Kitty by President yeah, right. yeah. America. Yeah. They were pretty close for me. Look, everyone else's choices were on my honourable mentions as well, because we, I think we all chose songs that were pretty great. Okay, well, I guess we have to choose a favourite song from uh, something everyone else chose. Tim Coyle, why don't we start with you? 1979. Lump for me. Casey? Uh, Santa Monica. Uh, it's So So Quiet. It's a dead heat uh, against for, everyone. For, for all of them. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll work out uh, how that works later on. Uh, Casey, do you want to let people know where they can find us on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Reddit, LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> you made that joke last time. I uh, did, didn't know. I didn't say Reddit or LinkedIn. You did. Um, you oh, said did Reddit. Oh, yeah, fuck you said it. Reddit and Pinterest, I think. Oh, whatever. Um, okay, so Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. We are 
90% hit, 90% in words, hit in words uh, in all of those places. Uh, Tim Byron, tell us more about the Tumblr blog. So we have this Tumblr blog, or Tumblog as they call them in the Tumblr world. Oh my god, <laughs> really? I just got that, did say that to get that expression from you. But, um, <laughs> yeah, on the Tumblr, uh, it's me and kids Tim Coyle. Today. Yeah, it's, it's me and Tim Coyle and the kids of today, um, because Tumblr <laughs> is where the kids of today are. Uh, we post lots of links to the songs that we talked about and other songs by the same artist so we're probably going to post Heroin Girl by Everclear as well as Santa Monica and we're probably going to post like several other 19 several other Smashing Pumpkin songs because let's face it I'm going to post several other Smashing Pumpkin songs <laughs> and um, lots of presidents of the United States there's going to be America. lots of the presidents of the United States of America definitely yeah, that volcano video video and we're definitely going to post Gump by Widow <laughs> yeah. uh, which we should have talked more about because it's fucking brilliant <laughs> Uh, yes, and please leave us a comment on the blog. Uh, send us an email and leave us a comment on iTunes and rate us as well. We read everything that you write and it helps us come up with search results. So if you like what we do, we really appreciate your help. But until then, we still don't know what happened to Mary. So if anyone knows, please let us know. Today is going to be the day that they're going to throw it back to you. By now, you should have somehow realized what you got to do.